Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to a special five-part podcast series on Shakespeare and compliance. I recently saw the performance of King Lear with Glenda Jackson as the Mad King. It was a magnificent production, and if you have the chance to see it, I would certainly urge you to do so. The production had many interesting features and interpretations, which seemed to be great entrees into multiple compliance topics. The play was directed by Sam Gold, and it was scored by Philip Glass, but the star power was derived from Glenda Jackson as King Lear. It was a fabulous take on the story and one that will resonate directly to our turbulent times. Therefore, inspired by Octogenarian Jackson and her performance, I'm going to use this performance to take a deep dive into several compliance topics. These topics include innovation, engaging your audience, Lear's Fool, Clinda Jackson's different interpretation of Lear, and changing your focus in compliance. I know you will enjoy this podcast series, the special five-part series of Shakespeare and Compliance is a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. In today's fifth and final episode of this week's special presentation of Shakespeare and Compliance, I take a look at my favorite character in all of Shakespeare, the fool, and we use him, or her in this case, as an example of a role in theater and in business. In this podcast series, I've used the current Broadway performance by Glenda Jackson as King Lear to introduce several compliance topics. Today, I want to discuss the role of the fool. Initially, I should note that the actor who played the fool, Ruth Wilson, also played Cordelia, which in and of itself is rather amazing. The fool did speak truth to power during the play, and Wilson was excellent in both roles. Wilson's performance as the fool added a shading of interpretation that certainly works. It also informs forms this episode's review and topic, which is who was the fool and who was the criminal in one of the most notorious acquisitions in recent memory, that being Hewlett-Packard acquisition of the UK company Autonomy. The matter is now in trial in London, and it's the largest UK civil trial in history, with HP claiming some $5 billion in damages. The former Autonomy CEO Mike Lynch is in the dock as well as he will be in the U.S. when his criminal case goes to trial sometime after the conclusion of the civil action. The civil action is scheduled to go through December. The trial recently began and the fireworks have already started, with HP claiming Lynch and his former CFO engaged in massive fraud. The trial judge asking HP what accounting standards they used to evaluate uh, autonomy and Lynch basically saying HP dropped the ball completely in both the acquisition and after closing for a variety of reasons. Based upon all of this tomfoolery, I thought a review of HP's actions would be warranted in the context of the fool. So, what did HP do that uh, really helped destroy this acquisition? Now, this is not focusing on the conduct of autonomy, it's HP. Well, uh, HP had new leadership. In 2010, it made the decision to bring in someone who was little known in Silicon Valley to run the company, and that person was Leo Apotheker, who had previously headed the German company SAP. 
However, little noted at the time was a change in the board of directors where HP simultaneously got a new board chairman and a software specialist, Ray Lane, a venture capitalist and former president at Oracle. Soon thereafter, four HP board members did not stand for re-election, and the five new members arise. In other words, a majority of the top leadership positions in the company changed in a very short time. Apicather made immediately clear his desire to purchase one or more software companies. However, the board of directors finance committee scotched one and negotiations to buy the other fell apart. A frustrated Mr. Apicather told Mr. Lane, I'm running out of software companies to buy. This led HP to look at autonomy. Another change for HP in their pre-acquisition process regarding the autonomy deal related to the board of director oversight. It came about because Apicather had two major initiatives early in his tenure. One was to divest the company of its PC manufacturing business. The second was to purchase autonomy. These initiatives were considered so large and complex that the board of directors split itself into two separate groups to evaluate each proposal. So only half the board was looking into the details of the autonomy deal. Further, HP's normal procedures required the board's finance committee to review and approve the deal before they reached the full board. That didn't happen with the proposal to acquire autonomy, said, because... While the split of the board of directors provided some ease of coordinating logistics, it provided the CEO with opportunities to lobby for the deal. What about the red flags? One of the things that HP board of directors were surprised about during the due diligence process was how little detail about the target firm's finances became available. Autonomy allowed a review of financial statements in about 25 sales contracts. HP wanted the working papers for the original financial material underlying Autonomy's audits. Autonomy declined to provide that to them, citing UK takeover rules that require companies to disclose the same documents to all potential suitors. While understanding that it, it was never the case that an acquiring company gets to review everything that it wants to in due diligence, reviewing only 25 sales contracts for a company you are about to spend over $8 billion on does seem like a bit of an under-representation of financial data to review. Moreover, some members of the HP due diligence team said they were reassured by some extent by Autonomy being a public company that had been audited for years. The auditor was Deloitte. But even Deloitte raised red flags with HP, however, weekly. At one point, people from HP and KPMG, HP's audit team and the acquisition of Autonomy, spoke by telephone with the Deloitte team. Someone at Deloitte mentioned that about a year earlier, an autonomy finance executive had alleged improper accounting at autonomy, according to people familiar with the situation. Deloitte mentioned the issue briefly and added that a review had found the allegation to be baseless. The HP team did not investigate further, and they did not share that information with their higher-ups. Neither the CEO nor the board of directors had ever heard of such allegations during negotiations. In other words, zero red flags were raised. What about the loss of steam? Well, there was a clear lack of enthusiasm by some members of the HP senior management over the transaction. The CEO said the acquisition would batter HP's balance sheet, using up its cash and incurring debt. Boy, was she right. Pretty profound when you think about it. But beyond simply the autonomy debacle, the board of directors was becoming uneasy with Apicator's desire to cut the heart out of the company by getting rid of the PC manufacturing business. So just after the autonomy purchase, 
uh, they decided that he wasn't right for the job. 30 day, 35 days after the agreement to buy autonomy and 11 months into his tenure, Apicather was dismissed by the board. This meant the person who had shepherded the deal through the company was gone. The CEO had not only pushed for this deal, now former CEO, but he had plans on how to integrate autonomy into HP and make it work. He said there were concrete and ambitious plans on how to integrate and leverage the autonomy acquisition, but he was gone by the time the deal closed. This led to claims by the head of autonomy, now in the dock, Mike Lynch, to claim that the intention for HP and to integrate and sell autonomy software after the transaction never came to pass. Within weeks, Mr. Lynch told the new HP CEO, Meg Whitman, that he had discussed with Several uh, HP counterparts and received negative responses. Meg Whitman and the other HP executives went to the UK to try to figure out what had gone wrong with the transaction, the integration, or both. And two weeks after that, Mike Lynch was fired. Within weeks of his firing, HP said the company heard from an allegation from an autonomy executive that the autonomy had manipulated its numbers. This set the train in process, which led to HP's write-down of over $5 billion due to alleged accounting improprieties. The The Department of Justice indicted Autonomy's CEO, Mike Lynch, and convicted his former CFO of fraud allegations. Perhaps not too surprisingly, the UK Serious Fraud Office said no, found no evidence to bring an action against either Mike Lynch, the former CEO of Autonomy, nor its former CFO. Perhaps the simple truth that everyone involved in the matter was a fool. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this special five-part series on Shakespeare and compliance, focusing on Clinda Jackson and her performance of the most recent revival of King Lear. I hope you will use these stories to help tell your compliance story in your organization, and you will continue to listen to the Compliance Podcast Network as I bring out new podcast offerings. This special presentation of Shakespeare on Compliance has been a presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.